0: Anybody here ever hear of Tom's Shoes? Tom's Shoes. Tom's Shoes, just so you know, is an interesting organization. It's a young guy, some, somewhere in his 20s. He might be th- maybe 30 by now. Started an organization where whenever he sells one of his shoes, actually his name is Blake, but he calls it Tom, I don't know. Tom's Shoes, if they sell one pair of shoes, they give one pair of shoes to someone in the third world who has no shoes. He calls his motto one for one. It's not a bad deal. Some of you maybe remember uh, not too long ago we had uh, the horrible tragedy in Haiti. And if you remember, Hollywood got really excited about raising money and sending a lot of money to the people in Haiti, which was a great thing. And they raised millions and millions of dollars for the people of Haiti. If you were watching the news a week ago, you might have heard the guy who invented Facebook donated $100 million to the Newark school system, which is very, very generous. To bring it into the Christian world, uh, one of the most popular organizations, mission organizations that we support, is probably World Vision. World Vision is international. Everybody knows about it. Even secular people have supported World Vision because of all the good that they do and the many things that they give. So what I'm trying to tell you is that in our culture, giving is cool. You hear that? Serving people, it's cool. So what's it to us? You and me, we follow Christ. Giving in our culture is cool. What's that have to do with us? If you have a Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to look in the Gospel of Mark this morning. We'll read a few verses in Mark 1, and then I'll share some stories from Mark 2. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now a little history note here. In ancient times, whenever a king was going to visit a local city, this was a literal practice. They would send a messenger anywhere between six months to up to a year before the king was coming. You know, they didn't exactly have cars back then. So they'd send somebody, and they'd say, Hey, everybody in the local village, first of all, get ready. The king is coming. Prepare yourself to meet the king. And when you met a king back then, they had significant power. Usually, whoever dominated uh, the world dominated the then-known world. So they controlled most of everything. Second of all, they would literally be saying, when the king comes, make sure you pave your streets. If the king's coming, you don't want big potholes. Make straight paths for him. So every time a king was coming to a village, they would send a messenger who would say, hey, get ready to meet the king and make sure his travel is smooth. Otherwise, he might get upset with you. Who knows? All this to say right now that Mark is trying to show his readers that this Jesus who is coming has royal status. So Jesus is a king, is what he's saying. Now look in verse 10. Verse 10. And Jesus was coming up out of the water he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Mark is trying to show us, hey, Jesus has royal status, so he's some sort of a king. And now he has the favor of God. Because after he's baptized, God opens up the heavens and confirms To John the Baptist, this is my son, and he has come to do what I want him to do. So Jesus is coming to serve God in a sense because he is serving God's plan. He is here to do what God has planned to do. Look at verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news. Here's the good news. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, each verse that I've made a comment on probably is an entire message in and of itself, but we're trying to get to Mark chapter 2, so it's the quick version. But if you look at verse 14 and 15, now Mark is trying to prepare the people that Jesus is serving the plan of God, and the plan of God includes serving man. He is coming to do a work in all of us. So this Jesus is a king, but this king isn't typical because he has a servant-like attitude. Right? Most kings come to be served. This king is coming to do the serving. He is serving God so that man can be brought back to God. He is serving man so that man could be in that relationship with God. You've probably heard this before, right? Okay. So what we're looking at here is a kingdom of giving. Is this interesting? We just said that in our culture today, giving is cool, and Jesus is establishing a kingdom of giving. Again, the question is, so what's it to us? Well, he says in verse 15 that the kingdom of God is near, which implies two things. It's not completed, but at the same time, there's an essence of the kingdom that can be experienced right now, in your lives. You should experience the kingdom on Monday, Tuesday, and even Wednesday. What does it look like? Where is the kingdom first visible? Now it's time for Mark chapter 2. I'm going to suggest that Mark chapter 2 is kind of like a little kingdom riddle. I'm going to share with you two stories from Mark 2, and I want you to listen And then tell me, what do you see in these two stories? What's the common theme, okay? Here's the first story. Jesus had come home to his local town, and a lot of people had gathered around to hear what he had to say. They've heard he has a great message, he's been healing the sick, he's been taking demons out of very oppressed people. This sounds awesome. So the house is packed. Everyone wants to hear what Jesus has to say. It's so crowded, nobody can get near him anymore. But there are four friends who have another friend that's paralyzed. Do you know what happens? They go through the roof, right? Now you need to picture yourself in this situation. Imagine that this whole room is so filled, you can't move. People are breathing on your neck. It's extremely uncomfortable. If you have claustrophobia, you're in trouble. (laughs) And what it literally says in the scriptures is that these men peeled off the roof and dug through it. They peel back the roof. They're digging a hole through the ceiling. Everybody in the room must be saying, oh my goodness, we're going to get trampled to death. The ceiling's falling in. Uh Uh-oh. You ever think about that? Probably never thought about that part of the story. When Jesus saw that these men were coming through the ceiling, he was so amazed by their faith that he said to the man who was on the mat, what? What did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Now, do you think the man was a little disappointed at this moment? Think about it. He was coming because he was paralyzed and he wanted to walk. And Jesus said, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. I want to walk. Come on, Jesus. Help me out. Can you imagine that? But the story changes at this point. Now he's got to deal with the religious leaders because the religious leaders are so upset. Oh, how can he say your sins are forgiven? Nobody can forgive sins except for God, right? You would agree with that. So that means this Jesus is saying or implying that he's God. That's blasphemous. Get him out of the room. But Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And so Jesus made this statement. He said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth To forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man. I mean, he said, what's easier, to forgive him of his sins or to heal him? But so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, he healed the man. Pick up your mat and walk out. Pick up your mat and walk out. You know, it's interesting when you think about this situation because... The man clearly was coming for healing. And yet, Jesus wasn't focused on his healing. He was focused on what? The healing of his soul. Think about that. You see a man coming for physical healing. Jesus sees someone who needs something more than the ability to walk. Do you get it? To those who seek the kingdom of God, forgiveness from sins is given to those who seek him. Right? Listen to the next story, and then you'll tell me if you see the riddle. Matthew's walking, I mean, uh, sorry, Jesus is walking through the streets... And he sees a tax collector named Levi. Now everybody knows that tax collectors were not well liked in the culture. There's a few reasons for that. The Jewish culture says that you are not to deal or be involved with the Gentiles. Levi basically committed the worst crime of all. He was a Jew. He was working for the Gentile Romans. And he was collecting taxes from the Jews, his own people. And so that he could be a little wealthier, he would add to the tax and pocket the rest. Not only did he break with cultural rules that he was not supposed to deal with Gentiles, he was now stealing from his own people. Basically, a complete traitor. Levi was a traitor. the Jewish people. But when Jesus looked at Levi, he said, follow me. He looked at this reject, he looked at this person who was religiously ostracized from the church and said, I want you, Matthew, he goes with a new name, to follow me. Do you know what Matthew did He followed him. Matthew followed him. It says here, uh, let me just read you that verse. Chapter 2, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And what is Mark right after that? And Levi got up and followed him. Notice there's very little detail. The fact that Mark is trying to get across is that when Jesus said, Matthew, follow me, Matthew was ready. So what does that have to do with this Matthew chapter 2 riddle? What it has to do with the riddle is this. Everybody that looked at Levi saw a problem person. They saw somebody who was not fit for the church. They saw somebody who was eh socially blah, not exactly the person you'd want to hang around with, somebody maybe just annoying. But the brevity of Mark to say he said, follow me, and Mark and, and, and uh, Matthew followed is this. You and I see somebody not worth much when you look at Levi. But Jesus saw somebody who was hungry for God. Because if Matthew was so hungry for God, it makes sense that when God called him, he would follow. But the problem is this. So many of the religious people and so many of those involved with the church saw this as an untouchable, so therefore they were not going to reach out to him. Matthew himself might have been hungry for God, but Matthew was, I mean, was not going to call out to the religious people or the Jews because he knew that they wouldn't accept him. So Matthew, deep down, hungered for God, and yet he saw no way out, so he continued to live in a life of spiritual blah. None of the religious people would reach in, Matthew thought there was no point in reaching out, so he was stuck. But at the same time, this man who lived in sin, in his deepest desires, wished he could follow God. So when Jesus came along and said, follow me. It was the first time ever anyone had ever given him any kind of hope like that. And so he followed Jesus. And immediately had a party for Jesus. And he invited all of his friends who would not have been accepted in the religious organizations. And they encountered an experience with the living Christ. You see someone that's a pest or a weirdo when you look at a Matthew, Levi. Jesus sees a person who is hungry for God. There is fulfillment of purpose to those who follow him. So what did we say in the first situation? We said that this kingdom of giving gives forgiveness of sins to those who seek him. Whatever reason that the paralyzed man came to Jesus, Jesus was impressed by his faith, because that man knew that whatever he needed to do, he needed to get to Jesus. And this kingdom of giving also gives fulfillment of purpose to those who actually follow him. Have you ever felt irrelevant? Have you ever felt that life is kind of, eh? What's really the point of existence? Maybe I don't really have much significance. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me... I promise you, I've got a plan, and you are included. You want in? This is the kind of life Jesus wants to give those who put their faith in him. So, here's my question. What clues have you picked up from this Mark chapter 2 riddle? Anything that you're seeing. I know you're kind of put on the spot, so don't feel bad if you don't get it. What we're trying to see here, or what Mark is trying to show us, is. Oh, go ahead. You got one? That's the right answer. Good job. Jesus comes for the sinners, not the righteous. She said he comes to um, work by faith and ultimately not by sight. That's what Mark is trying to show us. The kingdom of God has to begin with the unseen. Think about the stories. Everybody saw a man who needed to get physically healed. Jesus saw somebody who needed to be spiritually healed. Everybody saw Matthew, the tax collector, as somebody who was unworthy of God, Jesus saw somebody who hungered for God. Because Jesus deals first with the unseen. And it says in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God begins within us. Think about that for a moment. This kingdom of giving begins within you. Of course, by his hand, but it is within you. Listen to this. The the kingdom of God begins with the unseen because this is where the true motives rest, right? You can give all you want, but who can tell if you give sincerely? Only God, right? Because God can read the motives of why you are giving. And why you are giving does matter to Jesus Because he's the greatest giver of all, and his giving cost him. It was not primarily for his benefit. It was for the benefit of God redeeming us. Now, why is this significant to us, right? I asked you that question in the beginning. Why is this giving culture and this idea of the kingdom of God within us so significant now? I mean, the truth is, it's Wednesday morning. You've got a bunch of classes to worry about this afternoon. Maybe you've got some soccer games or volleyball games. What does this have to do with us today? I said that in our culture, giving is cool. That's the problem. You see, it's not bad that these people are giving, it's good. It's great that Hollywood raised so much money to give to the people of Haiti. But the fact is, the problem is, the fact that giving is just cool is the problem. Because anything that's cool, or done because it's cool, is a fad. All fads fade. You'll learn that as you grow up. I grew up in the early mid-90s. And now, all of a sudden, after 15 or 20 years, what we wore in the early 90s is starting to come back. Flannel button-down shirts. Go figure. But anyway. Giving is cool, and that's the problem, because all, fades, all fads fade. And my question to you is this. Why let giving fade? You see, if it's more than cool, then you'll have the right motives and the kingdom of God will be displayed in our culture as somebody who understands that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of giving. But remember this, Jesus is the greatest giver of all. And for those of us who follow him and have this kingdom mindset, it begins with self-giving. What do I mean by that? I'm almost done. Hang in there. Giving can only remain forever cool if it's done from the mindset of Christ Jesus, and he's the greatest giver of all, but it begins with your self-giving. The question for you right now is what must you give to draw closer to Jesus Christ? You see, it's not about judging the person sitting next to you. You need to figure out where you are on the pathway to Christ's likeness, and what must you give of yourself to draw closer to him so that your motives would be pure. Like Christ's. To some of you in this room, you may not have given your soul to God yet. That's possible. Sometimes we forget that going to a Christian school, uh, it's still possible that we may not have given our soul to God, but it is. So if that's you, then that's what you need because the kingdom of God needs people who give their souls to Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are suffering from a lackluster attitude for God. It's just something you do. I go to church because my parents go to church. I'm in a Christian school because I have to go to Christian school. Or I hear about Jesus so much I don't want to go to another chapel. If you suffer from a lackluster attitude, attitude or fervency for god then he's saying you need to be like a matthew i've got some great things for you to do but you need to step up with your following me there are things you can do and get involved in to keep your spiritual fervor alive maybe that's you give up some time to serve god and his kingdom of giving Some of you maybe just get so caught up in being religious and Christian that you need to loosen up and you need to be able to relate to your friends who are not Christian so that you can bring them to Christ. I don't know. You know where you are and what you must give to draw closer to Christ. And here is your conclusion. Most of you are still awake. God said that the kingdom of God has begun And what we've learned from Mark 2 is the kingdom has begun with the changing of you on the inside. So let the kingdom of God be evident in all of you. He says, Give yourself to Christ daily. You get it? Give yourself to Christ every day. Be forgiven be fulfilled, and, of course, be free in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here this morning. I pray that you would take your words and bring them into each person's heart in this room as they need to be fed by you, and we surrender it for your glory. Keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pat.